Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Oregon State women's basketball program is on another run. I don't think it surprises anyone. We had Scott Ruick, the coach, on the show a couple weeks ago. He said he thought this team was playing in a way that reminded him of his Final Four team. Uh, with us now, one of the stars on the team, Reagan Beers, is with us. Uh, Reagan, you're having a great season. How's that feel? Thank you for having me, first of all. But, yes, it's been a great start to our year. Our season's going great. Obviously, it's more fun when you win. Um, and so the fact that we remind Coach Scott of that Final Four team is such an honor because that Final Four team was absolutely amazing. So we're excited to continue to make our run. He was, you know, and he, it was interesting because we kind of had him come on right about the point where you guys started to play well. Like, you showed some flashes of it, and he said, you know, this feels like the foundation and the run-up. And he talked about the competition, uh, uh, you know, between players and how you guys challenge each other to be better. Can you speak to that a little bit? What are practices like for you guys? Yes, for sure. Um, I feel just compared to last year, this year there's just more accountability within the team. Obviously the coaches held us accountable last year, but this year um, when someone misses an assignment, when someone um, gets backdoored, when someone gets scored on, something like that happens, someone within the team is going to that person and saying, hey, don't let that happen again, or hey, you're better than that, let's go. Like That thing is coming, that accountability is coming from within the team, and I just feel like probably Coach Scott probably talked about this, but when that comes from within the team, that just makes your team so much stronger that your players are holding each other accountable. And so um, best example is yesterday when we were playing Colorado. Um, I think Talia got backdoored or something, and then um, we went down, and then she, I think, scored. And then on the way back, there was a dead ball. And I was like, hey, great shot, but don't let that backdoor happen again. Um, <laughs> so, like, um, obviously encouraging the things that we do well within each other, but then obviously holding each other accountable. Like, hey, don't let that happen. And then, um, obviously, Tamia Gardner, honestly, in my opinion, does the best holding me accountable. Um, she's like, you really going to let that girl punk you like that? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. Um, and so just within the team, having that there is just so powerful, and it, it's a great sign of a great winning team. So it's just been a drastic change from last year, and it's honestly probably what's been helping us win um, these close games against these really good teams. Yeah, last year I saw you guys. Uh, I went. I, I was there in Maui when you played LSU, and it wasn't a pretty game, right? I mean, that it was a probably an eye-opening experience for you guys. And I didn't like the way that some of the LSU players uh, treated you guys. I didn't, you know, I, I was a little uncomfortable. I came back, you know, from that trip and talked about it on radio. And I thought, you know, LSU really hard to root for after seeing that performance. But what did you get out of that as a freshman who's on that stage and you're against a team that is going to play in the national championship game? What did you get out of that experience? Oh, man. As you said, LSU... Uh, they they were a great team. It was honestly interesting to see um, us play that kind of team um, last year, so early in the season. And then, obviously, Yellen and I got um, in that game, and then I had to play the entire second half with four fouls. And so um, we didn't have another post at that time because Tamia was out. And so that was just a very interesting, um, weird game. But LSU is a great team. Obviously, they did a great job with Angel Reese and all the great guards on there. And so um, it's just it's very different. But I learned a lot from that game. But um, I think the biggest one is that 
um, that were good enough to be here. And then personally, I'm good enough to be here. And so um, there was obviously just a little bit of doubt, obviously coming into the Pac-12, one of the best conferences, in my opinion, the best conference um, in college women's basketball. It's just there's so much competition every single game. And then coming into that, LSU was a great eye-opener. Like, we're going to be playing these teams every single weekend when we get to the Pac-12 because Maui last year was before the Pac-12. And so it just gave us a good eye-opening experience about what to expect when the Pac-12 hits. And sure enough, next year, um, a lot of close games in the Pac-12 that we just couldn't finish and then some close games that we could finish. And so LSU was just a great overall experience for our team, giving us a taste of what was to come and then kind of giving some people the confidence to just, hey, we belong here. Um, even though we lost by 40, like there were some good things, <laughs> good things in that game that um, could obviously build build upon and be improved upon um but just shows that we can be there and we can compete and obviously this year we have all the confidence in the world after beating some really good teams and so that's just kind of carrying over uh, as we head into this this weekend yeah reagan bears is with us uh, you look really comfortable on the court two-time player of the week the first oregon state two-time player of the week since marie gulich did it um by the way uh reagan uh, passed marie on sunday in career double doubles 28 double doubles for you now and counting um, oh, wow. Reagan, you didn't know that, huh? Ray- <laughs> no, no, and you just said two-time Pac-12. I've only won it once. You were, Pac-12? didn't you win it? Didn't, weren't you player of the week twice? I think I've only won it once this year. Okay. Well, so I, far, anyway. Well, maybe, maybe. I'm, uh, maybe I am uh, ahead of my time here. So, uh, oh. <laughs> give me an idea. You're, you're McDonald's All-American in high school. How often do you run into players on opposing teams that you saw in the club circuit or you played, uh, you know, even as part of some of these showcase games as a high school star yeah we run into them all the time um i mean the pac-12 was filled with girls that were at the mcdonald at that mcdonald american game obviously one of them my teammate to me and gardner and then um ucla has a lot of them and then oregon has a few and so um just we constantly run into those girls that were like oh hey you were on our team <laughs> in at the mcdonald american game and a lot of them we did get to know a little bit and so um, so it's fun to just see and play against those girls and how much they have improved since that game. I mean, um, Grace Van Sluten, for example, at Oregon has done so much and has been doing so well since that McDonald American game has just improved. And so it's fun to see those girls that we played against those um, in that game and then how they're doing in college and how their game um, translates from high school to college. is very interesting to see. And so it's just been fun um, playing against those girls and kind of knowing a few of them. And then obviously Lauren from UCLA, who I've known for, for a while now, I'm glad she's back. And so um, it's just it's fun playing against those girls that you've known and getting to see how they have grown and how they have made you better. And it, it's just fun to see that and play against that each weekend. Now, Reagan, I'm going to tell you here, you you won Pac-12 Player of the Week this week. That's your second. You didn't know that. This oh today this today you are the oh. you are the Player of the Week in the Pac-12. Oh, I did not know that. Well, thank you for telling me. Well, yeah, 17 <laughs> points know. against Utah. I went back and looked while you were talking just to make sure. But you won it. You won it the week of January 15th. You won it again today. Just out. Oh. But Pac-12 just announced that. Oh, well, I've been in class, so I, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's cool. Well, I love it. So, uh, you know, and obviously you don't do it for the Player of the Week awards, but that stuff comes when, when you're having success. And as long as they're handing that out, Reagan, you should be, uh, should take it, you know, take it if they're handing But, um, you know, you guys feel like you're in rhythm right now. Is it? Am I reading that right, that this team is playing better basketball now than maybe earlier in the season? You, are, are, do you feel like you're in a groove? 
I would say so. I feel like we are in a groove, and I feel like that just came most recently with our individual confidence. I mean, um, I knew that we could shoot the ball from the moment we stepped into that gym back in, I don't even know, November, however early we started, and we had guards knocking down those threes. I'm like, oh, we we can shoot the ball. Like, we're legit. Um, And then, obviously, we have post presence, and so having that combination is is hard to guard for other teams. And so early in the season, maybe that didn't show as much, um, but now that our guards are just, being more consistent um, in the shooting and then constantly having more post presence. It's just, it's, it's hard to guard and any team is, uh, we, we scout against that obviously each weekend, every guards, every team has good guards who can shoot and usually a good post player. And so scouting against that isn't easy. So I can imagine scouting us isn't easy either. So vice versa, but it's great to see everybody individually gaining that confidence. And then that just builds the team confidence and that just fuels the fire and um, fuels our energy and our want to win because we know we can. So it's been fun to see everybody just kind of rise up, especially Lily recently knocking down those threes and obviously Talia and Tamia just becoming consistent. has just been super helpful and super impactful on our team. We're talking to Reagan Beers, two-time Pac-12 Player of the Week this season. You have three siblings, Rocky and Rowdy, brothers, who are football mm-hmm. players at, at Florida International. I want to talk about them. And Riley, uh, who is following in your footsteps, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what What is that family dynamic like? And let's start here, though. Why the R names? What's with uh, your parents? Yes, so it's funny because actually all of our initials are RLB. All of our middle names are one-syllable L words, too. And so it's funny when people find that out. Um, but Rocky is named after my, I want to say my mother's, um, I want to say my mother's uncle, mm-hmm. someone on my mom's side. And then Reagan, I'm named after my grandpa, whose name is Raymond. Um, and so I'm named after him. And then they got to Rowdy, and they're like, well, we kind of have Rocky and Reagan. We should probably keep the R's going because that would be a little weird if we have Rocky and Reagan and then, like, a Gerald or something. <laughs> so they're like, we got to keep the R's going. And so they kind of talked about names for a while, and um, they were watching the Olympics when they were pregnant oh, with Oh, Rowdy Sanders. Gaines. Rowdy Gaines, the swimmer. Yeah. And so he came to TV, and they were talking about different names, and then Rowdy Gaines comes on, and my mom goes, how about Rowdy? And my dad goes, sure, let's go with that. And there we go. There's Rowdy. <laughs> what? And then my sister is named after one of my mom's, I believe, friends in college. Um, so Rowdy's the only one where it was kind of like, well, we got to keep the R's going. So what do we get? Love <laughs> I love it. What? So what's that dynamic like? And, you know, uh, and I think your coach, Scott Ruick, told me years ago when he's scouting players, he looks for an older brother. And he says older brother mm-hmm. means that she can rebound. Do you give credit? <laughs> do you give credit to your siblings for your rebounding? <laughs> Oh, 100%. All of that credit goes to them and my dad. I mean, just once they sprouted past me and I started playing against them more, it was just, it was impossible. I was like, I would box them out or I would try to hit them and they just wouldn't move. And I'm like, this is just terrible. Um, so they, they get all the credit for that. And then, of course, Riley's getting there, getting all feisty. She might be small, but she's mighty. And so she gets in there and scraps it out like any little guard does. And so having that dynamic within our family was just so much fun. The competition level was just through the roof and everything, not just not just basketball and cul-de-sac. But when we would go play midnight soccer with a glow-in-the-dark soccer ball, I mean, flag football, whatever you want to do, um, the competition level was just through the roof. And honestly, that's what made me better um, in a sense for basketball. And then I, I hope it would – I hope it helped my brothers um, get to where they are a little bit. But I love my family so much. I love growing up in that environment, that competition environment. And my parents just fueled that. Of course, they would draw lines, like when fights would start. But, you know, <laughs> they would draw lines. But overall, it was just so fun to grow up in that environment. And it kind of um, made me as competitive as I am today to be able to play at this level. So 
Did, you know, your brothers, correct me if I'm wrong, they're like 6'5 and 6'4. And then, and mm-hmm. and so, I mean, that, you're obviously, when those you're playing those games, you're right, you got to compete and you're, you're trying to post up, uh, you know, physical players in the driveway. On your mm-hmm. on your Instagram, you had hashtag um, something about the cul-de-sac. Uh, long way from the cul-de-sac. Long way yeah. from the cul-de-sac. What is that a reference to? My older brother, when I was first getting Instagram, um, which was like super late in high school, it was like maybe a couple months before the McDonald's American game. Like I didn't have social media in high school. And so as I was making it, I was, I was creating it. I was like, Rocky, what should I do? Um, I go to Rocky for just about everything. And so I'm like, Rocky, what do I do? <laughs> He's like, I think it would be awesome to just say hashtag long from the cul-de-sac because the cul-de-sac where we live is where we would just do everything together. We would um, play games. And obviously, basketball was there. And um, we would just do. We grew up in that cul-de-sac. And so he was like, if you're going to Oregon, you could just say it's a long way from the cul-de-sac. Um, have that little tag in your bio. I was like, oh, I love that because it kind of gives a tribute to everything in that cul-de-sac that went down that kind of helped me get to where I am now um, at, at Oregon State. And so – that was that was Rocky's idea, so I don't get credit for that, but it's in my bio, and that's from him. So give me an idea. There's there's great culture at Oregon State. Obviously, your head coach has been there. You have people like Aaliyah Goodman who have been around and been through the program. Um, what is what does that add? And how does you know when you come into the program as a freshman, the culture and the expectations? To, you know what help us understand from the outside what that feels like. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like our saying, hashtag we are family, just kind of sums it up. And I feel like when you watch our team, um, even if you're new to watch our team or have seen the team for 10 years, that hashtag we are family hasn't changed, um, regardless of whether we're winning or losing. Um, back when Aaliyah was here when they were winning and Devin was here, um, back to last year when we weren't winning as much, that culture and that family environment that Scott has created um, doesn't change. And he does that by creating, um, by recruiting great players yes but also really good people um within the team and then also on his coaching staff obviously jonas and jonas chatterton and coach eli had been here been here for a while and then we have devin coach devin and then Aaliyah, who have obviously been in the program and so just building on that family environment that they have lived in and now they're coaching into it and so they know exactly what it takes to be in our position and so that family environment just doesn't change and i feel like when people watch us they can see that sometimes uh, most of the time all the time well, why we're so successful in that so if we love playing for each other we love going to war with one another every single game um love having that mindset reminding each other um to have that mindset every game so there you know you have you know obviously a conference tournament coming in vegas but there's uh you know a hand half dozen games here left in the regular season what do you guys need to shore up between now and then hmm. there's always something to improve on um no matter how good we play um, there's always something to improve on. Co- Coach always emphasizes that. Obviously, we're in a groove. We're kind of on a um, – but there's always something that we can improve. And so he's like, no matter how good of a game we think we had, we did have a good game, but there's always something that we can improve upon. And so just bottom line, keeping people in front of us, staying in the right position is going to be super important, especially two really good teams coming up this weekend in USC and UCLA um, at Gill. Those are going to be some tough teams. And um, so being in the right position defensively and just being in the way is just going to be super important, um, especially going up against these teams. And then offensively executing, executing consistently um, is obviously going to be super important again. And so doing that both offensively and defensively needs to be um, harped on and probably will be harped on during practice this week, um, just being consistent in everything we do this weekend, weathering the storms, weathering the runs that 
these teams are going to make because they are good teams, and that's going to happen. So weathering those runs um, and just playing through it every single every single minute um, of those 80 minutes that we're going to play this weekend is going to be beyond important um, this weekend. Number 11, Oregon State. You've got uh, number 9, UCLA, on Friday, and number 10, USC, on Sunday. Big, big games. Uh, Reagan, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, and... Uh, excited to hear your react, your genuine reaction, knowing that you're player of the week again. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us, and we'll get yeah. you back on prior to the uh, to the tournament. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Go Beeb. There she is, Reagan Beers. She is at the center of Oregon State's success this season. They jumped in the rankings today. The, uh, top 25 came out, up six spots. Biggest movement by any team in the poll. Oregon State now sitting at 11. Keep in mind, the West Regional will be held at Moda Center in Portland. I think it will be vital that Oregon State uh, gets in there and represents. But, uh, you know, keep in mind, there is a there is a pathway for Oregon State in the regional, given that it's it, it amounts to a home series and a home tournament for the Beavers. Uh, leave it here. You got the BFT. I get the best questions in the Monday mailbag, and I've wrestled for a while as to why it is that um, I enjoy the mailbag so much. And part of it is that I think we get smarter, or at least we get wiser in theory, when people question things and people ask questions or are curious about things, right? When you go back and you look at stoic thinking or you look at philosophers, I mean, they were always questioning questions upon questions upon questions and so i love the mailbag uh publishes every monday if you want to check it out johnconzano.com i uh, solicit questions on twitter at john Canzano bft on instagram at john Canzano. i also use uh facebook the bald face truth facebook page and linkedin sometimes and of course the subscribers are always free to ask questions so it's it's just a fun exercise to see what kinds of things are asked and in what way? And I, I'm always interested in that. But I got a great question today in the mailbag. In the wake of the Super Bowl, it was a doozy from a reader who asked, as a sports fan, how do you process a loss by your team? And, you know, granted, you know the 49ers are my team. And I watched the game as a fan on Sunday. And, and I watched as control of the outcome fell into the hands of Patrick Mahomes. I uh, messaged Dan Lanning who was at the football game with his wife. He's a big Chiefs fan, wore his uh, Derek, uh, Derek uh, Brooks jersey to the game. Um, I asked him, you know, kind of uh, what, that, what he thought of the end of it, and he said Pat was Pat, and that's as succinct as you can put it. Patrick Mahomes was Patrick Mahomes late in the fourth quarter and overtime. And as the game was uh, unfolding, I was processing the whole time because normally in that setting, I'm thinking about, you know, situationally, what I would write as a columnist, what I would talk about as a radio show host. I'm not really processing it as a fan. And I've been to nine Super Bowls, a whole bunch of Final Fours, you know, Kentucky Derbies, World Series, you know, BCS title games, college football playoff title games. I've been to a lot of big championship moments, and it's always interesting to me to kind of watch how the stakes and the glare of the stage, um, you know, how they uh, how they put pressure on people. And I thought the game in general, both from the Chiefs' standpoint and the 49ers' standpoint, had a bunch of that going on in the background. I mean, you're watching Brock Purdy try to erase the criticisms of him as a game manager. 
you're watching, um, you know, players on the Chiefs side make mistakes. Christian McCaffrey fumbles. I mean, I can't help but think what the stage is doing to those moments. A missed extra point in a rookie kicker, Jake Moody. I mean, it's just there are just some weird things that happen on the on in big stage games, and and we all know it. You know, we saw Chris Webber once upon a time uh, with the Fab Five call a timeout that he didn't have. Like it's those things happen. But I'm not normally in that seat as a sports fan. And so it was interesting for me to kind of be where you have been multiple times. And I don't know if your your team is the Ducks or the Beavers or Washington or Washington State or the Blazers or someone else. You've, you know, you've all seen those moments and you've all been in those moments as a fan where some disappointment sets in. Now, I am well aware, maybe because of the context of my job, uh, you know, what those locker rooms are like after those bad losses. And they're quiet. And they're generally, um, you know, players asking themselves what more they could have done. I think we heard some of that from the 49ers in the wake of the loss. Like, we all could have done more. Nick Bosa said that. I could have done more. We all could have done more. But I think everybody starts to nitpick and try to pick apart what more they each collect individually could have done and then collectively what they could have done. And I think as a fan, you're in a little bit of a helpless position because you're just like, you know, there's nothing more you could have done. You're just watching your team. It didn't matter where you were sitting during the game. It didn't matter what you were eating during the game. Your preparation for the game did not matter as much as your team executing when it came time to execute or knowing the rules for overtime in an NFL uh, Super Bowl. You know, it, it wasn't incumbent upon you to know that. The head coach of the of the team needed to know that. But in the end, what I am left thinking about is how fleeting those moments are. And I can remember several years ago when the Seahawks were playing the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. It was the New York Super Bowl that was had at, held at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. And I remember being in Manhattan, you know, a day or two before the Super Bowl, and I was going to have lunch with... Sally Jenkins, who was the columnist at the Washington Post, and she picked the spot, and I was standing in the lobby, and, you know, I got there early, and lo and behold, Marv Levy, the coach of the Buffalo Bills, is standing there. You know, three-time Super Bowl participant, lost them all. Marv Levy standing there. He's in New York, and he's it's Super Bowl week, and Marv Levy is putting his name in, to get a to reserve a table just like anybody else, and I can't, I could not help but think in that moment that had Martin Levy had just won one Super Bowl, the guy walked in would have walked in and wouldn't have had to wait for a table. Everybody would have been like, "That's Marv Levy, Super Bowl champion who brought a Super Bowl world title to the Buffalo Bills in New York City," and he would have got a table no problem. I mean, so we often I think in our culture, our sports culture in particular, we like to pick winners and losers. We like to say that, uh, you know, one person, one team elevated above all others. But I think as I look at events like that, and maybe this is me as a sports columnist radio show host now, you know, we all think about the horse that wins the Kentucky Derby. We don't think about who is second in the great race that they ran. We don't think about the runner-up in the Super Bowl. We don't think about the runner-up in the college football playoff championship game. But I think it is worth pointing out, like, the Washington Huskies had a hell of a football season. Michael Penix Jr. was not only the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy, he was the runner-up for the national championship. Think about that being second in both of those things. Um, you, you look at the 49ers season and you say, gosh, 
it fell short of what it could be because at different points they were playing better football than anybody. But it is such an important lesson about maximizing your opportunity and rising to meet the moment. And certainly the Kansas City Chiefs, in three consecutive playoff games in which they were an underdog, one and one and one, and walk off with the hardware again. Part of it is Patrick Mahomes. They have a, a player who's a difference maker. Part of it is Andy Reid. they got a coach who has been there so many times, he is spending time talking with his team about overtime rules and what they might be. They were prepared, and they were relaxed. Um, you know, Were they perfect? No, they had bad moments, including Travis Kelsey on the sideline. But in the end, I'm left thinking about the runner-up team and the fan base of those teams and thinking, gosh, if you're a Huskies fan, would you have traded that run to the national championship game in Houston? Would you have traded it knowing that in the end that you were going to get your brain beat in by Michigan? No. I think Husky fans would have taken the Pac-12 championship and taken the thrills week to week. And I think 49er fans are going to have to be satisfied knowing that we now get to sit back and watch the 49ers and figure out what kind of fine-tuning they can do, what positions they can get better at. Can they get healthier? Do they need another offensive lineman or two? I mean, it, it's the stuff of Timmy Lupus and the Bad News Bears, isn't it? You remember Lupus at the end of the Bad News Bears? It was one of my favorite movies from the 1970s. I was a kid, Walter Matthau, Buttermaker's the coach. Timmy Lupus doesn't say a damn thing all season long. And what does he say at the end of the year when they get beat? Go the bad news bears. You know, Timmy Lupus. He, he's selling hope at the end of his season. And, you know, I think as sports fans, you know, sports teams, I know this. Like when they're trying to market to you, they only have two things they can sell you. They can sell proof of performance, and the Kansas City Chiefs can do that. Or they can sell hope. And the 49ers need to be doing that today. Kyle Shanahan needs to be talking about, you know, getting back to the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy needs to be talking about the offseason adjustments that he can make to be a better quarterback on third down in the Super Bowl. And the 49ers uh, need to look around and ask themselves, like, in what ways as an organization they can just get a little bit better. First and goal. Mahomes flings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! It's like Timmy Lupus said, just wait till next year. The bald-faced truth is not here for a long time. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.